This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spiritualities. <laughs> Practical Spiritualities. I just changed the name of my course. Practical Spirituality here in the holy city of Jerusalem. And uh, yeah, it's Lag Bohemia right now. And uh, you can see my little mini bonfire out there. It's 14,000 shekel fine to make a bonfire outside right now. So I made a bonfire in my house. <laughs> kind of hoping that it just blows right up. The smoke blows out the window. So far, so good. Anyway, um, today is today's actually soul day in the Jewish calendar. You know, we have all kinds of days. We have days of happiness and sukkahs and days of, of light in the darkness and Hanukkah and days of repentance on Yom Kippur and... You know, there's different days throughout the year, and um, this particular day is the day of of um, the soul. It's soul day. And it's not just soul day, but it's also God day, because where do you get a soul? You get a soul from God. So God is the source, ultimately, of the soul. Yeah? And, um... Find some better lighting. Uh... Oh. Oh. Anyway, the, so, so what is the, where do you get a soul anyway? I mean, what's this consciousness that you have? And the answer is the consciousness comes from God. You can't make consciousness. No one can create consciousness. Consciousness has to come from a Baruch Hu Because, you know, this whole world's super complex. It's an expanding universe, yet it's contracting just right, which is the expanding name is Yud and He and Vav and He, and the contraction is Shin Dalit and Yud, Shakai is that it's enough, that's the contraction name of God. And those names are literally like one's pushing the world into existence and the other one's contracting it into order. Because if you just expand, you have chaos. And so the, the chaos name is, or the expansion name is Yud and He and Vav and He, the one we say call, you know, Baruch Atah Hashem, we don't pronounce it, but we say Master, Abdul, and Noi. And then there's the name Shem Shakai, which is the limiter, which causes limitation in this world. If God stopped, took that name Shakai out of the world, the whole world would just like whoosh, fly out of existence. And so the, and so the, the creator is ultimately creating this place. And it's an extremely complex creation. And your body is an extremely complex creation, but there's something that's totally beyond any understanding, and that's your actual consciousness inside it. Now, what happens to the consciousness, it often gets hijacked by your thoughts, because your thoughts are not your consciousness. Your thoughts are just this rambling of like 60,000 thoughts a day, about 3,000 thoughts an hour. Your thoughts are always rambling, whereas your consciousness is... is um, is the the uh, awareness or the the viewer of the 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 receiver of the thoughts because you know there's a you that's doing the thinking and you know when you think things and you think thoughts that there's a you that's that's you know receiving all those thoughts and all the stimulus of uh you know everything that hits your senses there's there's a you that's witnessing all this and that that has baffled the brain scientists for 50 years now. They cannot find it, meaning they can't find you, not in brain scans, not in fMRIs. They cannot find. They cannot find the human being inside the 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 um, inside 
anywhere inside the body, anywhere inside the brain. So it turns out that your consciousness is something that is, you know, this beyond comprehension part of godliness. And, and we also know that before there was something, there was nothing. And that nothing made the something. So it must be a conscious being because no, the propensity of nothing is to remain nothing. And that's the famous proof of God, which is uh, the five-second proof of God, which is before there was something, there was nothing, and since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be that nothing was God. You know, you guys know that proof? Heard that proof before? Before there was something, there was nothing, and since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be that nothing was God. So before there was something, there was nothing, but that nothing clearly was a conscious, it's a conscious being, because it creates something from nothing, because the propensity of nothing is to remain nothing. And so this whole creation is really made of the consciousness of God. And not only that, but there's a consciousness in everything. It's just that it's very low-level consciousness, like the stones behind me have their own consciousness, and vegetation has a consciousness. And uh, animals, you know, clearly have a consciousness. But nothing has a consciousness like a souled human being. And that's why we're able to create speech and spiritual in our spiritual lives. Now, God put us down here in this world. God put us down here in this world. Alexa, volume two. This is a reminder. Alexa, volume two. So, so the, um, the, the spirit inside the human being is not so obvious, number one. I mean, you meet a lot of people who don't believe they have a soul necessarily. By the way, everyone can be involved if you guys got a, because uh, I'm also on Zoom with my dear Chabura, which is the, uh, I have a Chabura every day with these lovely guys who are from uh, all over. Where are you guys from? A.B., where do you live? Skokie, Illinois. Skokie, Illinois. Shmili, where do you live? Lakewood, New Jersey. Lakewood. And Shimon, you're in you're in uh, Montreal, outside Montreal. And uh, Shlomi, where do you live? Over Muncie. Muncie. And, uh, and then we got uh, uh, Ellie, where do you live? You live in Borough Park, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So anyway, we got these guys out there and if you got anything to say, please say it and let me know what you what you want to share. So so it goes like this. It's not so obvious you have a soul and it's not so obvious that there's God and that's why you have atheists and that's why you have people walking around who believe they don't have a soul. You know, which is really difficult to explain consciousness. If you don't believe in the soul, like good luck on understanding, you know, Where's your consciousness come from? And where, where does that come from? Because they, they, they rely on science, and science already threw up their hands on this one. They don't understand where it comes from. Now, the, um, the, so having God awareness was very easy in the time of the prophets. So thousands of years ago, when there were still prophets, we're talking... Uh, you know, and the last prophets lived about 2,500 years ago. So thousands of years ago when we still had prophets, they, everyone knew there was a, there was a God. I mean, you, you could have had a prophet down the street. You know, your, your neighbor, you know, 
Shimon Schwartz is a prophet and he lives down the street and he's been prophesizing for two days. So it's time to like send over dinner because, you know, his wife could use a little help because her husband's in some kind of a convulsive trance now for the last two days. So, so, you know, send a Kugel to the Schwartzes because Mr. Schwartz is in full prophecy mode. So there were prophets everywhere. And, and this, this is another thing we don't understand is that Jacob's ladder, that's the ladder of serving God. So Jacob's ladder climbing up from the earth all the way up to Shemayim. Jacob's ladder is, is the top of it is prophecy. The middle of it is like enlightenment where you have no more selfish needs. And uh, above that is like uh, Ruach HaKodesh and stuff like that. And there's levels and levels, rungs and rungs and rungs on the ladder to climb towards Hashem. The first rung, by the way, just so everyone should know, first rung on the ladder of Jacob's ladder is, is, that, um, is, that, is to be in service of God no matter what. Meaning I'm, I'm a soldier or I'm a servant, you know, a slave. I just, he says it, I do it. And now no one wants to spend their whole life in full, like, you know, a slave to God, but you need that rung in case things go wrong and like everything's hitting the fan and you're like, you know, like your mazel's just gone crazy and God's testing you in every kind of way. So there's a lot of people who will drop putting on their tefillin or they'll drop, um, you know, kosher or Shabbos or being as careful because they, they feel like God dropped them. And they're, they're like, you know, it's like they're punishing God for things not going their way. So you can't ever leave the lower rungs. The lower rungs have to be there no matter what you go through. You're still serving God even in rough times. So when you have a prophet living on your street, you for sure know there's a God. When the prophets finally died, the last prophets died in the time of Ezra, the, what was left, so what was left was, was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And today's his Yorzeit, and that's why today is Soul Day or God Day. Because Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, he, he was the, he, he, you know, he spent the 13 years in a cave and he came out with all the secrets of the Torah. And, and that light, that is all the secrets of how things work and all the, all the mystical um, aspects of creation and how nothing becomes something, how, how the oneness of God becomes the multiplicity of this world and of the soul structures and the structures of the worlds and, and um, just explaining everything, the, the deeper reasons behind, every, uh, behind the, the whys behind the what's of Torah and life and creation. So that was to be the light. Here's the light right here, my little bonfire on the tip of my finger. Um, here, that's for Facebook, and here's for my Zoom meeting. So the, uh, so the, that's the light of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai burning, and it's the, the light of his soul. And Rabbi Shimon, you know, normally when someone passes away, so when someone passes away, you, every year on his yard site, you light a candle. But Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was made up of all the souls of Israel, all the neshamas of all of, of the Jewish people for all time. His soul is the sum total of all the souls, just like Moses's was. There are a few people in history that were the sum total of all the souls. Um, what I mean by that is, is it's not one soul per body. You know, there could be like 20 of you walking around the earth right now that are, that are part of your root soul. And then, but all 20 of you could, could have one soul 
of, a, of someone walking around this world who has not just the 20 of you, but another 200 that are all like branching off of that particular person. And so there's root souls that are bigger root souls that have many souls coming off them. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was the entire entire soul of the of the of the Jewish people. And so he was like the sum total of it all. And so so when we light a we don't just light a candle, we light a bonfire because because it's it's not just one candle for the soul who passed away, but it's like all the it's the soul of all the Jewish people. And, and think about it, if he's the sum total soul of all the people, so that means that everyone's yurt site is today. You understand? This is like, this is your own yurt site. Like, you're, you're celebrating your own yurt site right now. Because, you know, it's the yurt site of all the ancestors that you don't even know their names or their dates that they passed away. Meaning, once you go back a few generations, most people don't know the dates anymore of their, of their, um, of their passing. And uh, today is their yard site. Today is everyone's yard site. And so you're celebrating your own yard site. So when you're dancing, you're like you're like the, the it's like the dance of the dead. You know, like you're you're dancing on your own yard site. You're connecting to your soul and the souls of all of Israel, and and uh, we're all just one. Um, just on a personal note, my logbo every year. People have different log boomers. Some people's log boomers are like Yom Kippur. Other people's log boomers like Simchas Torah. They have a saying that when you're inside the cave, inside the building where the tomb of Rabbi Shimon is on this day on log boomer, it's Yom Kippur. And when you leave the tomb where all the bands are playing, it's Simchas Torah. That's where all the dancing is. And it's like two holidays going on at once. So I am a... Um, so I'm the dancing type. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm like the emoji of that smiling face and dancing around. But but something happens. It happens usually late at night. Like I get there, it's, you know, for sundown around eight, and something happens around one, two, three in the morning when I'm starting to get tired, and I've been dancing around these circles for a long time. After a while, if you dance long enough, you what happens to me is, and many others, is you you forget yourself. You know, think about it. When you're dancing in a circle, you're part of this one thing that, like, never... It doesn't have an end. It's a cyclical. And you're dancing with all these souls on the yurt side of all the souls. On the yurt side of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And you're all dancing. And anyway, but while dancing like that, all of a sudden I go into this kind of trance of just being a soul in Israel. And um, at that point... I feel such a deep connection and I can't stop dancing. I just keep going till, till sunrise when it's time to put on tefillin and then the whole place like, you know, and throughout the whole day, it's like 800,000 people, but at any given time, it's three, four, 500,000. And, uh, all of a sudden the place is silent and everyone's in silent meditations, you know, together as the sun hits the horizon. It's really a special night. And so I'll, I'll just go into that trance of dancing the whole time. And so if you ever get there, those who are watching this far away, who've never been there, if you ever get there, um, remember that you have to, you have to dance a long time. <laughs> and and the, the, another saying I always say is there's no room for you there because there's so many people. So leave your body behind. Just bring your soul because you're going to get elbowed, stepped on, punched, and well, no one's going to punch you purposely, but... But, you know, you're going to just get, you know, thrashed around over there. And so when you first get there, it's like, 
why did I decide to do this? And, and you're like, it can be pretty uncomfortable. Uh, unless you're Hasidic, though. If you're Hasidic, you're used to having lots of people around you. That's why they wear these, like, silk, smooth, uh, long coats on, uh, on their holidays together because cause you have to squeeze into these places and it slides much better when you're uh, wearing these... Uh, they're called becatures, but they, 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 you get to like slide through crowded places much easier in, in a nice slippery coat like that. Anyway, they're having a good time even from the start, but if you're not used to that kind of crowding, you got to give yourself, I would say three to five hours to finally arrive. Um, not to mention, you know, everyone's being fed and drinking and having a great time and you don't even have to bring a penny with you. It's all free. And um, we're, we're kind of hurt that we didn't get to go this year, but who are we anyway? I mean, that's nice. You know, you're hurt. I heard Rav Gamliel Rabinovich, the Makubal, who's a, you know, a friend of ours and uh, my, my best friend's brother-in-law, my next-door neighbor's brother. And uh, he... Uh, he uh, he was offered to go up. He was offered to be one of the, one of the invited fifty people at one of the bonfires. There were three groups of fifty allowed up during coronavirus. Anyway, he answered that he said, "No, I'll just stay with my people." <laughs> he was like, "I don't have to be the special one up there. You know, like, I'll just stay with the people," and the, and that's what he did. Um. So Rabbi Shimon was supposed to be the light until the end of days, except I don't think they foresaw a specific issue, and that was Shabtai Tzvi. Several hundred years ago, I think in the 1600s, this was the, I think the mid-early 17th century, there was a, um, a man who used the Kabbalah of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai to... to um, to ultimately uh, take advantage of the mysticism and the names of God and stuff. And he, he created magic, ultimately, and got everyone behind him. It was in a tough part of a peasanthood exile of the Jewish people in these little towns everywhere. All over Europe, he actually got everyone in a, into a frenzy about him being the Messiah. And he started this whole messianic thing. It was a massive movement. Millions of people moved into Israel, everything. But it turned out that the whole thing failed, and all these people lost their lost their faith. You can imagine that anytime there's like a messianic thing that fails, so it's going to have a lot of fallout. It's also um, messianism generally attracts um, simpler people. You know, like I mean, think about it. If you heard there was a messianic, you know, movement. You get, you're immediately raising an eyebrow with skepticism if you're even remotely intelligent and educated. This was not a very, this, this time of period of history wasn't remotely intelligent or educated. This is very shtetl reality at that point. Um, according, apparently the science, the, the, um, the historians say that Judaism at that point only had a two to three percent scholarship. You understand, 90, can you imagine 97% of Jew, Jewish people, um, not illiterate because every Jewish boy studied till he was 12, but, um, but you know, it was, it was really not, uh, it was not a time of great educated Jewish people. 
Am I filling water for me on the filter? No problem. You're having ice water. Uh-huh. You're in a funny mood. <laughs> so, during the corona, I wouldn't let anyone have ice water. They call it ice water snack. And uh, our family only drinks water during the week. And Shabbos, we drink grape juice fizzies for the most part. So, so I wouldn't let any of the kids have ice water during Corona, because, right, that was one of the things that Corona's attack, attracted to cold. So, no ice water. And remember that? We were all drinking, like, hot drinks to kill the coronavirus. Who knows if that meant anything at this point? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Like, does anyone take that seriously at this point? Like, are any of you guys, like, worrying about your hot drink every day to kill the coronavirus? <laughs> We have just been such fools, you know, like, like, I mean, it might have been great for us, who knows, but it's like, you know, Shmili, are you still drinking your uh, hot drink to kill the coronavirus? I'm using the blower. The blower? <laughs> yeah, we, we had the, we had the, uh, the, the hair dryer. <laughs> we were doing yeah, that. Yeah, the hair dryer. <laughs> Shimon, were you doing the hair dryer in the mouth? <laughs> No, no. No, Shlaimi, did you try the hair dryer in the mouth? No, What's that? Too hot? Maybe I still have. I'm <laughs> Maybe you should. Abe, did you try that one? Yeah. No, sir. Yeah, I I set it up by my bed so I could sleep during it. I woke up. I could have drunk a whole bathtub of water. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just duct taped it to my mouth and went to sleep. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> mm. But do you guys feel so much more settled emotionally since the start? Do you remember when, like, we were being told all this crazy stuff and, like, you didn't know if you were going or coming during that whole time? It was so crazy. That was just the most nuts experience. Things are much more grounded now. I feel much less in the tailspin. You can slide through, man. Um, you're not in, in the frame. So, um, where was we? So, so that was supposed to last. Rebbe Shimon was supposed to last all of history. Except what happened is this Shabbat feet character, this false messiah, gets in the way. And, and the, and we lose like millions of Jews from the fold and the reaction, at least amongst Ashkenazim, the Sephardim never uh, agreed to do this, but the reaction was, was to, um, was no more, no more uh, mysticism for the young. You know, they made all these rules, like to learn the Kabbalah, you had to be 40 years old at least, you had to know all of the Torah, you had to be married with kids. Um, you had to be like, you know, of, of really high standard character. And then you were allowed to study this, study the mysticism, Jewish mysticism, the Kabbalah. The um, Sephardim, Sephardic communities um, never accepted that upon themselves. But the Ashkenazim did. And what it did was it created a great dryness in the Jewish world. It's like, it was like freeze, um, what do you call those... Uh, what do you think called those machines that take the moisture out of a... Dehydration. It's like a dehydrator. 
You know, like you can preserve food by dehydrating it. You can like get a dehydrant and dehydrate apples and, and then back. Yeah. It was like they dehydrated Judaism. They just turned it into meat and potatoes. Meaning they took the why out of the what. So all you got now is what. You know, it's like taking the spirit out of spirituality. So what do you have now? Instead of spirit ritual, you have ritual without the spirit. Plus you had um, another big issue was that at least during the times where Kabbalah was, was very, um, you know, part of, when Kabbalah was like a big part of the tradition. So what happened then is the, the, even the simpleton, like just the shoemaker who like wasn't a scholar of Torah at all, but that simple person, Shimon, you have the ability to uh, WhatsApp Yisrael, make sure he knows we're on. Yeah. So, so, um, oh, you're on your phone. Sorry. Um, whatever. Okay. Just do it real quick. So, anyway, the other oh, is. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You, Yisrael, I just said to Shimon, Shimon, can you please go on your phone to WhatsApp and find Yisrael? And that's why his camera's still moving around because he's like setting it back up. Like literally this this minute, and by the time he could even go on to WhatsApp, you show it up. I think your check my WhatsApp, but I didn't check it till now. I think your hands moving around were like, like you. I always get this like, come on, come on, you know, like whenever I'm starting the group up. So I think I sensed you from like six thousand miles away. Right. How long we are? You just started? No, we've been on for a while. We've been on for a while. So, anyway, um, uh, someone remind me what I was talking about. Oh, it was like, hey, David Hirschon. So it was like we were dehydrated. Judaism got dehydrated. It was like meat and potatoes, no gravy. Talking about after Shabtai's feet. So we moved into this like very dry uh, position, very dry period. And oh, so what I was saying before is back when the Kabbalah was part of things, even an Amaretz, meaning even the most simple Jew, knew about his soul. Like he knew about the connection to God. He knew all this stuff. He, you know, he maybe, he maybe wasn't a scholar, but like he was by surely a spiritual being. I mean, in those, think about it, in those days, that was way before the scientific revolution. So it's like, People have magical thinking, you know. People were literally, it's called magical thinking. And people lived in that form. You understand that even in our scientific generation, us Jewish people uh, are, were considered magical thinkers. Now, you might consider that an insult, <laughs> that someone thinks of you as a magical thinker. Why? Because we think if we're going to say this, that's going to happen. If we say that, that's going to happen. If we, you know, <laughs> it's like magical thinking, you know, to a scientifically minded person they were like jokers with all the stuff we're into i mean if you saw daf yomi today it was like wild shamanistic stuff of you know how to get rid of a fever you have to like speak into a bush after you notch it with an iron knife you know and then speak into it about about the burning bush of moses and and then it gets rid of a burning fever so you know and and Oh gosh, you just can't believe the some of the Gomorrahs today. So, so anyway, we are magical thinkers, and so was the whole world at that point. What happened with the backlash of 
the backlash of Rebbe, of the of the Shabtai Tzvi, the false messiah, was they took away all the magic thinking. They created what's called rationalist Judaism. And all of a sudden, like, the spirit of the Jewish people was, like, like taken away. We were dehydrated from the spirit. And what happened was some great Kabbalists came along, big Kabbalists came along, who were massive Kabbalists and, and, and a bit of a secret, secret people, meaning uh, people who were, not, um, who were not public figures at all. They were hidden people. They only revealed themselves way later in their careers. But what they decided was these great Kabbalistic types decided that they were going to trickle down Kabbalah back into the world for the layman. And they would actually travel from town to town. These holy rebbies would travel from town to town. People wouldn't even know them there. And they would like literally like take the bellows that you start a fire with. You know, they're these like old bellows that you start a fire with. They, they, they flap up and down and they have a tube that, you know, turns on the fire. They would actually take that and put it into people's mouths and just go like, you got a soul, Rebid, you know. And they went from town to town and just like turned on the Jewish people that they're spiritual, that they got souls. And, and next thing you know, they had like a huge following and it became a whole movement of people living like this. And, and then there were the rationalists. Now, in the end, the rationalists kind of became the Litvaks, which are the Ashkenazic yeshiva types. And then the Hasidim were the ones into this ecstatic prayer and spirit to spirit orientation, spirituality. That's why if you go to Rabbi Shimon Bayochai's kever, to the uh, you know the the great bonfire of Rabbi Shimon. So when you go to Rabbi Shimon Bayochai, you'll see that that ninety um, percent of the people there are Hasidic and Sephardic, who, who, the Sephardic never accepted the rationalist uh, rules against Kabbalah. And the, uh, and it'll have like, te- there will be like 10% of the yeshiva community will be the remainder. They're, they come, but you know, they're unique individuals father, that are coming. Yeah. The father actually told me that for 20, 30, 40 years ago, the Hasidic people wasn't there in be- the beginning. Oh, really? That's- wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, when my wife and I were there um, 29 years ago, the, um, oh no, our first one was 28 years ago. The, um, there was, um, first of all, it wasn't as crowded and at all. And the, um, it was like thousands of people, not hundreds of thousands. And, and the, um, and, but we would definitely, we'd be like, Remember, we'd be chilling and like a whole group of Hasidim would come walking by. Like, like there, there'd be like a whole pack, like 50 at a time coming up on, off of buses. But there was no like men's path and women's path and family path. And it was just the road going up. And, and no one really seemed concerned about that at all. You know, no one seemed to care whatsoever about that. And they, everyone just wanted to get up there. And yeah, everyone was just happy to be around each other and and party together, and it was quite a scene. Um, it was actually, my, my wife and I only married 25 years, so 28 years ago that we were there together. Um, they, amazingly, we were, we were, we were with a, some chevra from the people who were, you know, Bali Chuva uh, on the mountain there, and I think I, I must have had my guitar out. I had my guitar, oh yeah, I was playing away, and we were jamming. And uh, my wife, I think you were selling hand-knitted kippahs that you had made. Yeah, she was selling, the, you know, these beautiful, like, 
you know, thick knitted, like, like kind of hippie spot keepers, you know? And, uh, so she was selling those down the way and I was up playing with the band up on the side and we were on the road going up to Rebbe Shimon and, uh, we were there for hours and anyway, but there was one point where, where I looked down at the keeper lady and she looked up at me and we knew who each other was, but we both had this realization that we were going to get married. It was the weirdest thing, but we call it our anniversary, meaning every Lagmar. We got married three years later. I mean, I, I just sat and learned in Yeshiva for three years straight. It's just that when the rabbis said that on Passover, you got to start dating because they saw like it was time for me. So they said, on Pesach, you got to start dating. I said, okay, I'll date. But before you set me up with anybody, I got someone in mind that I'd like to see first. And, uh, and that's that. And the rest was history. So it was, it was amazing how that how that panned out. But we literally saw the zivug on on Lagboimer. You know, we it was revealed to us. And her Hebrew, her English name was Leah Bueller, which is Lamed Bet, which is Lev. And she married me and became Lag Leah Glazer. <laughs> <laughs> Everything she does has LGs in it, by the way. The Today, uh, let's hear about last night's uh, party at our house. What did it have? Oh, we had golden bread, golden lechem, gal, gimelamid. We had, what else? The bamboo, we had plates with gorgeous green bamboo printed on it, which is long green sticks. Okay, long green sticks. Oh, she said green lines. Oh, thank you very much. She brought one for me to show you. Yeah, I mean she's really out there linguistically, but these are the green lines: Gimel, Lamed, Gal, green lines. She of course married someone who's called Galazer, the helper of the waves. Yeah, the wave guy, the wave helper. And uh, anything else? Oh, we had green lentil soup. <laughs> A gorgeous lettuce salad. Oh, and we also, everyone got a big piece of lasagna. That's lasagna gadola. Yeah, we ate fl- milk. It's a little embarrassing. Today we had flaces. Today we had a barbecue. So we were all good. It's funny, we were in this giant mansion on Purim. And uh, we just went by there to drink a little bit on uh, Lag Bohemer. Guy named, uh, what, what was the name? I mean, on uh, Purim. What's the name of that guy? That was mansion on the top of the Northeast Jerusalem. Uh, Reichman, uh, David Reichman from England. Anyway, so my daughter lives on the 10th floor of the Kaduri building. So that's where we had our barbecue today. And I looked out, like I've looked out so many times from a balcony. I never realized that it's actually looking where we had Purim because there was smoke coming off of their building. They were doing a barbecue on their roof. So there was like... This giant smokestack coming off. Okay, listen up. Um, when Shabtai's feet basically blew it for Klal Yisrael, so things went dry, these Hasidim, uh, these Rebbe's brought it back. They brought back the wetness in Judaism. Back to the soul consciousness, back to the God connection. And, um, and um, but they didn't foresee, because that was supposed to be Tom Mashiach, meaning the light of Rebbe Shimon was supposed to, First of all, the light of the prophecies of Torah was supposed to be Tomashia. But the prophets, you know, things went wrong. 
So the pro- so the prophets were gone, but then the light of Rabbi Shimon was supposed to be till Mashiach. But Shabtai Tzvi went wrong, and so the light of the Hasidic Rebbe's was supposed to be till the time of Mashiach, but then what happened? Europe, where all of this was going on, gets destroyed, totally destroyed, by two things. One was the Enlightenment movement, what's called the Haskalah, and, and then the Hasidim became these, like, really hard, you know, the really hard, like, like the reactionary to the, uh, to the secular, to Jews who were leaving Judaism. You see, the Enlightenment, the Haskalah, was the first time ever that a Jew had to draw a line in the sand between him and his fellow Jew. You understand that was, that's not normal. You guys think that's normal because you've been living this way for so long. You were born into this. But that was never the case. You know, a Jew was a Jew. Like there was, you know, a Jew, if a Jew stopped being Shomer Shabbos in one of the countries that Jews live, Eastern, Western Europe, you, you moved like 50 miles away or a, 100 miles away or 500 miles away and you started a Gentile life for yourself. There was no such thing as a Jew in your community who wasn't, you know, doing Shabbos and stuff like that. Comes along the Haskalah, the Enlightenment movement, and and that, and by the way, even in 200 years ago when the Enlightenment movement began, there was still only 2-3% to 3% scholarship amongst the Jewish people, in the observant Jewish people. And so the Enlightenment just hit like a storm took so many Jews down, it was, it was terrible. I could tell you some pretty nasty stories about those times. Won't do that now in Lagbalumir especially, because this is about love of all Jews and connection of all Jews. Anyway, but what happened was the, uh, the Enlightenment mu- movement was a major, major affront to the observant community, and they drew a line in the sand between them and the, their fellow Jew. Even our outfits, like our black and white outfits that we wear, and, uh, you know, that outfit is, is also a line in the sand. Because before, you didn't need clothing to distinguish yourself from the Gentiles. The Gentiles were totally illiterate, toothless wonders. And, and then there were these fully literate Jewish people who could have been as peasant as any Gentile peasant, but massively literate, hugely um, uh, dignified. You understand, like, highest levels of dignity. Dignity that makes us all look like a bunch of uh, lamos today. Like, we're all crass compared to who these people were. And so, can you imagine being a... That the entire society of peasant Jews were of the highest level dignity. And and the... Um, but, so, you didn't have to draw a line in the sand for the thousands of years of exile that we had had till then. Meaning, 1,700 years of exile till then. You didn't have to draw a line in the sand between you and the Gentiles, but for the first time there had to be a line in the sand between the Jews and the Jews. And that's nasty. That's nasty. And that's why I'm so alone in outreach, you know? Meaning there's nothing that you people, for example, the guys in my Zoom group right now, you realize how much more Torah you know than me? You guys should have ten times more Vali Chuve in your back pocket who became observant through your love and attention and teachings. Ten times more than me. You understand? You just have, and also you're ten times more solid than me because you're, you're, you understand, you're, you're, your very foundations were in Torah. So you're like, you're way more, you're way more stabilized in the, your Torah life. So like you should, have, you should have ten times more students than I do and who, are, who have become observant over the years. 
what's the difference? The difference is because you were raised in the line in the sand community where like, we're not them. We're not interacting with them. We're not being influenced by them. We're not, you know, it's just not, 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 which is reaction, 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 reaction. While I was raised with them, those are my brothers, those are my sisters, and and I, how can I know Aleph without teaching Aleph? How can I know Bet without teaching Bet? How can I know Gimel without teaching Gimel? Like, how dare I withhold from my brothers and sisters the words of Torah? And so, now, if it meant endangering myself, or endangering you know, my loved ones by putting out those ropes of love and, and, uh, and uh, communication of Torah and, and the beauty of Jewish life, if it meant risking things. So maybe I would have, uh, you know, thought twice or been more careful, but there was no risk because I, I was a been there, done that guy. You understand? I've been there, done that, lived the life, you know, and more than most of them considering my background. So it's like, it was like, there was nothing left for me over there. I, I left no stone unturned over there. There was no zero lure back to that and back to the old lifestyle. And so reaching out was a pleasure and it was of no risk. Now, um, but I, but very interestingly, because my kids grew up watching these Shabbos tables, they're also like, well, well fortified, those kids. And I gave them a lot of foundations by raising them in the Hasidic community. So, anyway, but here's the deal. No one foresaw that the second thing, the first thing was the Enlightenment, the second thing was that Europe was going to get destroyed by the Holocaust. No one had any idea that was going to be the next hit. And all of a sudden, like, the whole light of all those Rebbe's was gone. I mean, just gone. Like, like Yisrael, you know, or Shmuley, or Shlaimi, or, you know... Um, uh, Schumann, you guys can find it in Sfarim. You know, you can dig it out. So it's there for us on a very intimate level of our learning, our, uh, our studies. But forget about it otherwise. You know, it is not, it's not the light till the end, till Mashiach times. No one's even heard of this stuff. You know, no, no one's ever... 85% of Jews are getting zero from it, you know. It's just, you know, the last nail in the coffin of assimilation from the Enlightenment was the coffin of the last Jew killed in the Holocaust. As that nail went in, the Jewish people just went off into a total tailspin. And uh, you guys on this group, in my, on my, you know, my uh, group for a New Earth uh, group, and by the way, if you're watching this, maybe it's a shkocha protest that I let you in on my group today in honor of Vlog Boimer. The um, uh, perhaps you'd want to join our group. Um, we have a we have a daily group on Eckhart Tolle's teaching, a new earth. Just so you see it, um, it's called a new earth, and it's one of the most brilliant books ever. But it really requires a rabbi, or you're going to wind up in all kinds of strange places. Now, um, now the. Um, Anyway, but you can go on my website, rabbiyomtov.com, if you want to check that out. Um, so what happened next is, um, is the Jewish people are just, we're sunk. You know, we just have, you know, whatever, like your parents' communities, or your, you younger guys, your grandparents, 
and Yisrael, your parents, they said, we're going to show those Nazi bastards, and they rebuilt Judaism in, in New York. And, but they built it to survive it, meaning they were so good at not assimilating that that uh, I bet you, you young people here, like, like Shmuley, how old are you? 29. 29. How old are you, uh, Shlaimi? 28, actually. 28. So you both are above the 25-year cut. So you're probably way more European than American, you two guys. It seems everyone from 25 and down are finally Americans from this community. But these Europeans who came out from the war created four generations of Europeans. Four generations of Europeans. <laughs> if someone's Italian and moves to America, their children are already full Americans. Persians come. You know, they, they're like barely learning English. They're like, hello, fellows. We will go to the store now. You know, and then their kids are like full on Americans. So, and that's their goal really. But these people's goal was we're going to not, we're not like, we're not part of this place. You know, we're not in this place, you know, and that we're going to have nothing to do with this, this America thing. And we're going to have nothing to do with anything. We're just going to have to do with Torah, mitzvah, Torah, avoiding Gimelus Hasadim. So, anyway, so what's left? What are we, what's going to happen? What's the light until the times of Mashiach? And the answer is this massive global movement called the consciousness movement. The massive global movement, which is the movement in consciousness. And that's what we're all part of. We're all part of this consciousness movement. Most people are asleep, including in the Jewish world. Most people are asleep. They're not in the consciousness movement. They're all fixated on their thoughts and a million different, you know, uh, viewpoints that somehow back up their lifestyles and, and they're just kind of hijacked all the time by their thinking. But there's a consciousness movement, which is what Rabbi Shimon was all about, was the consciousness, the soul of all souls. And, and so... Today we celebrate the consciousness movement. And that's why I'm teaching this book, A New Earth, is because this, this is about the awakening of the planet. And, and it makes sense too, because the redemption that the Jewish people had leaving Egypt was from constricted consciousness to expanded consciousness. That I called out from the constriction to God and he answered me with expansiveness. And so, and so we are... We are, um, so, so we're part of this. Oh, so that was the, what's called the Geula Pratis, the individual Geula, the redemption of the Jews. But the end of days, it's going to be a general redemption of the whole planet where everyone comes to consciousness. And so it's not so good that we're like kind of behind on that, where Jewish people should be on the forefront of it. We should be teaching the world that. But as I said, the people involved in the Jewish world, for the most part, are, are staying as far away from the world as possible, and therefore the consciousness movement is, they're basically missing it. Um, but it's not okay, and uh, that's why we're learning this book in detail and understanding it from a proper Torah perspective. Um, so I'm blessing everyone with a Lag Sameach, Lag Malimer Sameach. May we all be blessed to live in the world of soul, uh, in this world. <laughs> Before <laughs> The world of souls is when you die, but may you live as a soul in the physical world. And may we all come conscious. May we all sense our, uh, our true self. Yeah.
Back to the Kabbalah that got uh, dehydrated. Didn't the Baal Shem Tov brought it back more on a practical level than a, than an intellectual? Yeah, it was a layman's Kabbalistic experience where it was, uh, yeah, for sure. It was the Kabbalah as far as the soul's connection to God was the main thing. Um, it wasn't that, it wasn't that like, um, you know, like playing pinball with, uh, playing pinball with intellectual things like the Sephardic learn, you know, yeah. that's the original Kabbalistic way. Um, it was much more, uh, specific teachings that connect the soul to God and awaken the soul. Okay. I'm, the last minion just finished here in the neighborhood. So I'm going to go answer at least Baruch Hu. Um, I bless everyone. Everyone should be well. Lag Boimer Sameach. And uh, for those of you watching on Facebook or on tour anytime, please share this with someone. Click it, subscribe, follow, whatever those buttons are you're supposed to hit. Hit, hit all those buttons and please join my club to help, su help support everything I do online uh, with, uh, at rabbiyomtov.com. Please be a member of rabbiyomtov.com. All the best. Shalom. See you guys. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.